What's up, junior high students? I don't know about you, but in the last couple of weeks, I have been online on the internet more than I think I ever have in my life. I've been on Amazon, I've been on all the places that you can buy stuff, and I have put a lot of things in my cart. I don't know if you've done that, but I put so much stuff in our cart. Yesterday, in fact, Alexander and I were on the Home Depot website and we wanted to buy a ton of stuff for our house. We were looking at things to put up on the walls. We were looking at things to take off our walls so that we could put new stuff up on our walls. We got so excited. We got all the way to having it in the cart and then we stopped and we thought, do we really need this? And then we kind of started to take a step back and we realized that we got really caught up in the hype. We got really excited about online shopping, even though we didn't need a single thing that was in our cart. What happened right there was a classic case of not being content, not being happy with what we had. We had all these things that are in our house that were great that we were just gonna get rid of and replace with these new things just because we were excited about it, just because we had been focusing on it for, well, a long time in our shopping carts on that Home Depot website. That's called not being content. And what we're gonna talk about today from the book of Philippians is Paul basically thanks the Philippians for something that they did for him. Um, but he basically says, I want you guys to know that I need to be content no matter what. And I have been content and I wanna teach you how to be content. So I want us to open up in our Bibles to the book of Philippians to check this out. So helpful because um, right now, when we are in a quarantine, when we're um, not able to go out and about and maybe get all the stuff that we want, it's easy to not be content, to be discontent with the things that we have and um, with the things that we want. Really, when we're not content, what that means is we look at stuff, we want stuff that we don't have, and we focus on it. Um, Paul tells us that's not how he wants us to live and he reminds us how he was when it came to receiving gifts and not having everything he needs. Um, right here in Philippians chapter four, uh, verse 10 is where we're gonna start today. It's a new section, you might see it says God's provision. If you have an ESV, it says that right over the top. He's gonna to talk about how God provided for him and how that actually changed his attitude towards hard time. So check it out in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, which might remind you, by the way, of verse four. Remember what it says in verse four? It was a command for us. We needed to rejoice in the Lord always, no matter the circumstance. Again, I will say rejoice. We already learned that, and he talks about how he has applied this in his life. And he said, um, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Basically saying, for a while there, the Philippians were really taking care of Paul, especially when he was in the city for, for a little bit there that we find out in the book of Acts. But they also were taking care of him and sending him gifts. And he says, I know it had been a while since I got a, a gift from you or a card in the mail, but um, you, at some point, you revived your concern for me. And he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's saying, I know that you love me and I know that you cared for me, but for a while there, you didn't have an opportunity to write me a card or to send me a letter or to give me anything because times are really hard for you. And we actually find out more about that in the book of Second Corinthians when it talks about this group of Christians in the area where Philippi is that were going through a hard time economically. They didn't have all the same stuff that some of the more wealthy Christians had. So they were going through a hard time. So Paul says, I. Thank you so much for this gift. And I know that you've been thinking about me the whole time, but um, you weren't able to send it until just now uh, because you were able to. So verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I need, 
more from you and I don't want to thank you just to get more in return. He's not doing that. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul says he learned a secret about this. I want to know what the secret is, right? If the title of this video in all caps was the secret of being content, right? That's a video I want to watch, right? I want to hear what this says about being content in any circumstance, whether you're hungry, whether you're thirsty, whether you have what you need, whether you don't have what you need. Paul says, I learned the secret. Look at the secret in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who who strengthens me. This idea here is Jesus Christ is strengthening Paul. That's ultimately the secret to contentment. It's knowing Jesus Christ. It's having a relationship with God and trusting God. That's the secret. Whether he has a little or whether he has a lot, that remains true. That his trust in God is not changing. And that's why he can be content. But I want to look at some of the the things that he tells us to do when it comes to contentment. Some things, two things on your worksheet. If you have your printout worksheet at home, should be on the on the website right there by the sermon tab. Um, I want you to see two things that we can learn about contentment from Paul here. The first thing is this, comes from verses 10 and 11, where he talks about thanking these Philippians. Um, that's the first thing I want you to recognize, that when it comes to stuff, the first thing we can learn from Paul, point number one is this, appreciate the love of generous people. Appreciate the love of generous people. He tells them he's thankful for the gift and that's the right thing for him to do, but he doesn't just say that. He says, I'm thankful for the gift, but I want you to know that I'm not just thanking you so I can get more, right? Um, Something that um, we used to do when I was growing up was um, even right when I left the house, when I got my first apartment, my mom always wanted to give me gifts. And sometimes she would give me um, like gift cards to my favorite places like Chipotle or Taco Bell or every once in a while, I would get a um, like a gift card in the mail. It was really cool. It's like a you know, $10 gift card to Taco Bell. It was sweet. And I was really excited about that. And I can go about thanking my mom in a couple ways. I could thank her and just say, yeah, thank you so much. It was great. I really appreciate the gift. Or I could say, oh, you know what, mom? Thank you so much for that. Thank you. And then remind her later, hey, thank you for that Taco Bell gift card. It was awesome. You know, I really like it when you send me Taco Bell gift cards. You know, mom, you know my favorite places? My favorite place is Taco Bell. You should send me some Taco Bell gift cards. That was really good when you did that the first time, right? Paul just says, look, I, I could thank you in a lot of different ways, but I just want you to know I don't need any Taco Bell gift cards. Um, don't you see that in the vert? No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say Taco Bell gift cards, but that's the idea. Paul's saying, I'm not asking for more. Okay, you guys were so generous, and even these, these Philippian Christians, they didn't have much. Um, the book of 2 Corinthians says that the Philippians, the Macedonians, were actually um, more poor than some of the other Christians. They didn't have a lot, but they gave, and 2 Corinthians 8 says, they gave beyond their means. They gave more than it seemed like they were even capable of giving, and God rewarded them for that. So, he just wants to make clear, I'm not asking for more money. I'm not asking for more stuff. I'm really happy with the gift that you gave me. So, he's not asking for more. But I want you to recognize, Paul, in this situation, um, is in jail, and he's in house arrest. So, we talked about that a few weeks back. Um, You just have to remember he is in a house or a small apartment, like a like a one-bedroom place, not able to leave. So you feel like you're quarantined and you feel like you need stuff. 
Paul really needed stuff. He needed people. And the system was back then that the government wouldn't give you, you know, a, a tray of food three times a day like they do in our jails today or our prisons today. They give you food every day. That's not how it worked. You had to provide your own food. Um, you had to give yourself um, your own food. So what that meant was your friends had to really provide for you. And because this was in Rome, most of the people who are providing for Paul are Roman Christians. But what the Philippians did is they came in and gave um, Paul a gift through a guy named Epaphroditus. We find that out in Philippians 2.25. Also, later on in this book, Philippians 4.18 says this guy, Epaphroditus, came and gave this valuable, expensive gift. We don't really know what it is. Um, we just assume that it was a big sacrifice and it helped Paul a lot. He gave this gift to Paul. That was huge, what, what they did for Paul. And he says, I'm not asking for more. So don't take this letter as a request for more Taco Bell gift cards. I, I've got enough. I'm paid in full. Thank you so much. But I just want to say, I'm thankful for you. He says, I'm not just thankful for the stuff. I'm thankful for you. And that's really a good lesson when it comes to contentment. When we thank generous people, and I think you can think of some generous people right now in your life, your parents, um, your family, your friends, people who maybe have visited you in this quarantine and done a drive-by and given you some, um, I don't know, birthday love, if it was your birthday or something, those people, right? When you're thankful for them, just recognize God wants you to be thankful, not just for the gift cards they give you and the food they delivered to your house and the cupcakes and the ice cream they give to you. God wants you to be thankful for them, for them, not just for their stuff, for them. Maybe you've had this experience giving a gift to a little kid, right? People give gifts to little kids and they like the wrapping more than, um, than the gift itself. And even worse than that, they take their gift, they say, thank you, and they run away and they go play with it. And they don't spend time you know, investing and loving the person who gave them the gifts. We don't wanna be like that. And Paul certainly isn't like that. He's a great guy who shows his love for the people of Philippi by being more thankful for them and their relationship than he is even for the gift. But he makes it clear, hey, I'm thankful for this gift. I don't want you guys to think um, that it wasn't helpful. It was an awesome gift. But just recognize this, everything we have, every gift, as James 1.17 says, really ultimately comes from God. Every gift. That means everything we have. Um, every talent you have, every skill you have, um, every opportunity you've ever had, every fun experience you've ever had, every good gift or thing or, or, or food or house or everything, all of that comes from God. Okay? That's an important principle to realize because what he's gonna say next is I've learned the secret of experiencing hunger and abundance, plenty and need. He says, I know what it's like to have a lot and have a little, but I am content. I want to talk about what this contentment idea means. Um, to be content is to not seek and want more than what you already have, right? Super simple. You probably learned that as a little kid at church, but that gets harder as you get older because if your idea of contentment is just, I'm happy with all the stuff that I have, um, that's not all there is to contentment. Because if you're happy with your stuff, right? If your stuff gets taken away from you, are you not content anymore, right? Because you want to get back to that level of stuff you had, right? According to Paul, he says, I know how to be content with a lot or a little. I don't need a lot to be content. So clearly his contentment isn't rooted and based in the stuff that he has. It's certainly not rooted and based in the gift that the Philippians gave him. 
this contentment is rooted in God who strengthens him. He's satisfied and content in his relationship with God. And he trusts God knowing that God is going to provide for him. So that's the second idea I want you to write down. That's point number two from verses 12 and 13. Write this down. Um, Be satisfied by God, not by stuff. Be satisfied by God, not by stuff. Now, think about this. Um, God gives us good gifts, right? Everything we have comes from God. And the Bible calls us to be content with those things. So absolutely true. But just recognize that if all your contentment is you look around the room and you say, okay, well, I guess I don't need to buy this thing or this thing on Amazon. You know, God's given me a lot of good things. I guess I shouldn't want those things. I'm content with this stuff, okay? That's a good first step. But if that's all you're content with, if something breaks, if something is taken away, then are you content anymore, right? You can make the argument that if all you are is content in what you have, if you lose what you have, you're not going to be content anymore because you want to go get that stuff again. Ultimately, God in this text is calling our contentment to be in him. Okay, I want to give you some principles, especially from the rest of scripture. One of the principles I want to give you is that if your satisfaction and your contentment is in stuff, um, it's not going to last. If your contentment is in the stuff that you have and getting more stuff, you're never gonna be satisfied. Hear what Solomon, a really rich guy, a person who had a lot, more than you will ever have and more than I'll ever have, he said this in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Verse 11 says this, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This idea from the Old Testament is basically saying this. If you have a lot and you love getting stuff, guess what? You're not going to be happy once you get that next thing because you're in this constant pursuit of wanting more, right? Maybe you've experienced this by getting a a new iPhone or a new iPad or something, a new gadget, right? You get that thing, you like it for a little bit, then guess what? You want another one and you want the better one and you want something else, right? Maybe this you've experienced this with clothes, right? You get that, you save up and you get that one special dress or that one special, I don't know, shirt. I don't know, that's, that's really dumb. Uh, dress is better for you girls, right? But uh, guys, if you get a shirt or maybe a jacket, right? You get that one special jacket, right? From that favorite place. And it's like a hundred bucks, right? It's a really expensive piece of clothing. It's the nicest thing you own, right? You have that thing. Are you satisfied? Are you content? Probably for a little bit, right? Some of you might be content for longer than others, but if your focus and your want was in this next thing, guess what? you're not gonna be happy. You're gonna want the next one. You're gonna want the same jacket in all four colors that 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 place makes it in, right? You've experienced that. I've experienced that, right? I used to be into, I guess I'm still into stuff. I used to be into watches and I, um, I still am into watches, but I wanted a watch that was like every color that I wore. And I wanted shirts that were like every color that, that I liked. And I wanted shoes that were like every color. Um, and, and maybe you're in that stage too. You, you want all these different things, and once you get them, it's like, okay, great. On to the next thing. On to wanting the next thing. I just want to tell you, uh, Solomon, uh, let's so- let Solomon tell you, right? He's the rich guy. You might think, well, John, you don't have as much stuff as I do. Well, that might be true, but <laughs> Solomon had plenty. He had more than you and I will ever have. But even he says, 
If all you want to do is make money or get more stuff, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be satisfied. That's the first principle we've got to know. Second one comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And you can replace the word money with stuff or basically anything there. You can't serve God and money. If, that, if you want stuff and you want to serve God, one of those two things is going to win. Your focus cannot be in both places, right? Just like you can't focus your eyes in two different places for a very long time, one of them is going to win. Your focus is either going to be here or it's going to be here. Same thing with God and money. Your focus can't be in both of those places at once. The, your focus is going to shift to one of those. And let me just tell you, it's a dangerous thing to have your focus be on stuff and on God because most likely, naturally, um, you're going to want to focus on stuff because you can see it. It's right in front of you. It's there for you. You're going to want to focus on stuff more than God. It's a dangerous place to be. That's the second principle. Another principle comes from 1 Timothy 6, um, verses 7 all the way to 10. Uh, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of this world. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. That means a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Right, that word plunge, um, I remember there was an old, uh, it was an old ride at Knott's Berry Farm called Perilous Plunge. And it was this ride where you'd go um, on a boat, basically at Knott's Berry Farm, down this track, and then you'd go into the water and it would splash all over you, right? Perilous plunge, the idea of plunge is going down into something. What Paul's saying here is if you desire to be rich or to have a lot of stuff, you are taking a headfirst plunge into ruin and destruction. It's one thing to take a headfirst plunge into water or into the perilous plunge ride at Knott's Berry Farm, but going into ruin and destruction, right? things that will hurt us, that's a terrible thing. He says, don't do that. Verse 10, this is 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. If we love money, that's gonna be the root, this, the thing that's underneath that stems into all types of evil. Stems into envy, right? Wanting what other people have. It'll turn into slander, right? Saying bad things about people so we can get more. It'll turn into jealousy, hating people, right? It'll turn to anger. It'll turn to all lust. It'll turn into any one of these branches of sin when it starts with we want stuff and we're not content. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. He's saying people have left the church. People don't even call themselves Christians anymore because they started out by wanting what the world had. They wanted more. They weren't satisfied. They weren't content with what God gave them. Just recognize that. That's very important. Um, when we talk about being content, God has given you everything, right? So God has chosen to give you what he's chosen to give you. If you don't like that, and if you want more, just recognize who you're saying that to. You're saying that to God, the one who gave you everything. You're saying what you have given me, it's not enough. I want more. I want more shoes, I want more things, I want more clothes, I want more skills, I want more of this. God gave you those things. And for you to say it's not good enough, um, that's, that's a scary thing to do, right? Because God has given you everything and God could take everything away. We don't want to be people who are discontent, not content with what um, 
God has given us. So that's kind of the second half of that point. But I want to go back to the first half of that point. We said, be satisfied with God, uh, be satisfied by God, not by stuff. Um, how do we be satisfied by God? Right? That's a complicated topic. Um, I want us to turn in our Bibles back to the Old Testament, turn to the book of Psalms. Um, specifically, I want you to turn to Psalms chapter uh, 63. David wrote a song about contentment. He wrote a song about being satisfied, not in what God um, gave him necessarily, not even in um, the stuff that he had, but in God himself. So check it out. This is Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. It means I want you, I want to be with you more than anything. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Right? That sounds like he's discontent, right? Well, in a sense, he's discontent, but what he's discontent about is he wants to know God more. Check out verse two. It says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, the house of God, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. And I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's situation was not a good situation. Actually, if you look in um, the little title for Psalm 63, it says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He was not in the palace. He was not the king at this point. This was before. This is when he was running away from Saul. Even then, he's clinging to God. He's content. He's satisfied with God because God is the source of all good things. And God is his helper, his rock. It says he hides in the shadow of his wings. It's like taking you know, a cape or an umbrella or covering somebody. And that's the idea. He's coming underneath God and he's being covered by God. He's satisfied with God, satisfied in God. That's the first guy. The second guy I want you to see in the book of Psalms is um, 10 chapters later, a guy named Asaph, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This passage is amazing because um, it's the first chapter uh, of, of book three, the third set of Psalms here. It's not written by David. It's not written by a king. It's written by one of David's friends, though, Asaph. Um, he lived around the same time, and he says, he basically tells this story about how he knows God is good. He knows he's good. He says, but this is verse two. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, I looked at people who were not living righteous lives, and their lives looked good. They had nice stuff. They didn't have problems. It says that they were, they were healthy, and they were um, great, but they were so arrogant about it. And, and how can this be? Then he says in verse um, 17, he says, I, I thought this was hard until I went to the sanctuary of God. He talks about how... Um, God put these people who are evil in slippery places. He knows they have a lot of stuff right now, but, but ultimately the end is not going to be good for them. Look at verse uh, 25. This is where Asaph picks it up. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? He's talking to God. I have nobody in heaven but you. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. 
You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. He says, when I was focused just on the stuff, when I was focused on the things people had and their advances and all that stuff, I, I got jealous. And if it was bad. He says, but then I went to church. Then I thought about God. Then I realized that being near God and knowing God is so much better than any of those things, any of that stuff that I wanted. It is so much better. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may feel, but God is my strength and my portion forever. God is your strength. God is your portion. If you're in Christ, you can look at what the world says, and you can look at all the stuff that people have. You can get jealous, just like Asaph does, but just realize um, that's not doing you any good. What's going to do you good is turning back to the Lord and recognizing that you can be satisfied in God. Paul wants you to realize in Philippians 4 and Asaph and David, they would all scream this to you, that you need to be content, not based on what you have, but, but, but based on who you know. You need to be content with who you know more than what you have. And who you know is you know God. If you're a Christian, you know God through Jesus. Jesus came to live in our place and to die for us and to rise again for us so that we could know God. In John 17, 3, Jesus said that eternal life is to know God the Father, knowing God and being able to experience his presence by knowing him and reading about him and praying to him and understanding who he is. That is so much better than anything. And Paul recognized that in jail and we should recognize that in quarantine. You can have contentment in quarantine if you're satisfied by God, not satisfied by stuff. So I want to pray that that's going to be a thing that we do. Um, I know you guys got small groups this week. We're going to be talking about this sermon. So let's pray that God would help us be content by focusing on him more than stuff. Let's pray. God, thank you for being such a good God to us. You've given us more than we could ever ask for, more than we need, certainly. I pray that you would help us be content with what we have. I know we don't just want to be content in that stuff, but we'd be content in you. We recognize that you can take things away and you can give us things and it's your right to do that. Um, and it's not right for us to complain or be upset or to um, gloat about the things that we have or to um, be sad about the things we don't. I pray that you'd help us do this because I know it's pleasing to you. I know that you give us the spiritual superpower of being able to be content because you strengthen us in every situation. I pray that we'd rely on you and not think to um, satisfy ourselves with new stuff or new things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.